Chapter Twenty of the Eyes of the World by Harold Bell Wright. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Twenty, Myra's Prayer, and the Ranger's Warning. That same afternoon, when Sybil Andres was making music for Aaron King in the spring glade, Brian Oakley, on his way down the canyon, stopped at the old place where Myra Willard and the girl were living. Riding into the yard that was fenced only by the wild growth, he was greeted cordially by the woman with the disfigured face who was seated on the porch. "'Howdy, Myra,' he called in return as he swung from the saddle. And leaving the chestnut to roam at will, he went to the porch, his spurs clinking softly over the short, thick grass. "'Where's Sybil?' he asked, seating himself on the top step. "'I'm sure I don't know, Mr. Oakley,' the woman answered, smiling. "'You really didn't expect me to, did you?' the ranger laughed. Did she take gun, basket, rock, or violin? If I know whether she's gone burying, fishing, or fiddling, it may give me a clue. Or did she take all four? The woman watched him closely. She took only her violin. She went some time after lunch, down the canyon, I think. Do you wish particularly to see her, Mr. Oakley? It was evident to the woman that the officer was relieved. Oh, no, she won't be going far with her violin. If she went down the canyon, it's all right anyway. But I stopped in to tell the girl that she must be careful for a while. There's an escaped convict ranging somewhere in my district. I received the word this morning, and have been up around Lone Cabin and Burnt Pine and the head of Clear Creek to see if I could start anything. I didn't find any signs, but the information is reliable. Tell Sybil that I say she must not go out without her gun, that if I catch her wandering around unarmed, I'll pack her off back to civilization pronto. I'll tell her, said Myra Willard, and I'll help her to remember. It would be better, I suppose, if she stayed at home, but that seems so impossible. She'll be all right if she has her gun, asserted the ranger confidently. I'd back the girl against anything I've ever met up with, when she has her artillery. By the way, Myra, have your neighbors below called yet? No, at least not while I have been at home. I have been burying two or three times. They might have come while I was out. Has Sybil met them yet? came the next question. She has not mentioned it if she has. Hmm, mused Brian Oakley. The woman's love for the girl prompted her to quick suspicion of the ranger's manner. What is it, Mr. Oakley? she asked. Has the child been indiscreet? Has she done anything wrong? Has she been with those men? She has called upon one of them several times, returned Brian, smiling. Mr. King is painting that little glade by the old spring at the foot of the bank, you know, and I guess she stumbled on to him. The place is one of her favorite spots. But bless your heart, Myra, there's no harm in it. It would be natural for her to get interested in anyone making a picture of a place she loves as she does that old spring glade. She has spent days at a time there, ever since she was big enough to go that far from home. "'It's strange that she has not mentioned it to me,' said the woman, troubled in spite of the ranger's reassuring words. The man directed his attention suddenly to his horse. "'Max, you let Sybil's roses alone.' The animal turned his head questioningly toward his master. "'Back,' said the ranger. "'Back.' At his word the chestnut promptly backed across the yard, until the officer called, "'That will do,' when he halted, and, with an impatient toss of his head, again looked toward the porch inquiringly. "'You are all right now,' said the man, whereupon the horse began contentedly 
cropping the grass. "'I met Mr. King accidentally once at the depot in Fairlands,' continued the woman with the disfigured face. "'He impressed me then as being a genuinely good man, a true gentleman. But, judging from his books, Conrad Lagrange is not a man I would wish civil to me. I have wondered at the artist's friendship with him.' "'I tell you, Myra, Lagrange is all right,' said Brian Oak stoutly. "'He's odd and eccentric and rough-spoken sometimes, but he's not at all what you would think him from the stuff he writes. He's a true man at heart, and you needn't worry about Sybil getting anything but good from an acquaintance with him. As for King, well, Conrad Lagrange vouches for him. If you knew Lagrange, you'd understand what that means. He and the young fellow's mother grew up together. He swears the lad is right, and from what I've seen of him, I believe it. It doesn't follow, though, that you don't need to keep your eyes open. The girl is as innocent as a child, though she is a woman, and, well, accidents have happened, you know. As he spoke, he glanced unconsciously at the scars that disfigured the naturally beautiful face of the woman. Myra Willard blushed as she answered sadly. Yes, I know that accidents have happened. I will talk with Sybil, and will you not speak to her, too? She loves you so and is always guided by your wishes. A little word or two from you would be an added safeguard. Sure, I'll talk to her, said the ranger, heartily rising and whistling to the chestnut. But look here, Myra, he said, pausing with his foot in the stirrup. The girl must have her head, you know. We don't want to put her in the notion that every man in the world is a villain laying for a chance to do her harm. There are clean fellows, a few, and it will do Sybil good to meet that kind. He swung himself lightly into the saddle. The woman smiled. Sybil could not think that all men are evil after knowing her father and you, Mr. Oakley. The ranger laughed as he turned Max toward the opening in the cedar thicket. Will was what God and Nellie made him, Myra, and I, if I'm fairly decent, it's because Mary took me in hand in time. Men are mostly what you women make them anyway, I reckon. Don't forget that you and Mrs. Oakley are coming for supper tomorrow, she called after him. And no danger of our forgetting that, he answered. Adios and the chestnut loped easily out of the yard. Myra Willard kept her place on the porch until the sound of the horse's galloping feet died away down the canyon. But as she listened to the vanishing sound of the ranger's going, her eyes were looking far away, as though his words had aroused in her heart memories of days long past. When the last echo had lost itself in the thin mountain air, she went into the house. Standing before the small mirror that served in the rude, almost camp-like furnishings of the house for both herself and Sybil, she studied the face reflected there, turning her head slowly as if comparing the beautiful unmarked side with the other that was so hideously disfigured. For some time she stood there, unflinchingly giving herself to the torture of this contemplation of her ruined loveliness, drinking to its bitter dregs the sorrowful cup of her secret memories, until, as though she could bear no more, she drew back, her eyes wide with pain and horror, her marred features twisted grotesquely in an agony of mental suffering. With a pitiful moan she sank upon her knees in prayer. In the earnestness of her spirit, out of the deep devotion of her love, as she prayed God for wisdom to guide the girl entrusted to her care, she spoke aloud. Let me not rob her, dear Christ, of love but help me to help her love all right. Help me that in my fear for her I do not turn her heart against her mate when he shall come. 
help me that i do not so fill her pure mind with doubt and distrust of all men that she will look for evil only help me that i do not teach her to associate love wholly with that which is base and untrue grant o oh god that her beautiful life may not be marred by a love that is unworthy as the woman with the disfigured face rose from her knees she heard the voice of sibyl who was coming up the old road toward the cedars singing as she came when sibyl entered the house a moment later myra willard still agitated was bathing her face the girl seeing checked the song upon her lips and going to the woman who in everything but the ties of blood was mother to her sought to discover the reason for her troubled manner and tried to soothe her with loving words the woman held the girl close in her arms and looked into the lovely winsome face that was so unmarred by vicious thoughts of the world's teaching dear child do you not sometimes hate the sight of my ugliness she said it seems to me you must with her arms about her companion's neck sibyl pressed her pure young lips to those disfiguring scars in an impulsive kiss foolish myra she cried you know i love you too well to see anything but your own beautiful self behind the scars to me your face is all like this and she softly kissed in turn the woman's unmarred cheek whatever made the marks i know that they are not dishonorable so i never think of them at all but see only the beautiful side which is really you you know no answered myra willard gently my scars are not dishonorable but the world does not see with your pure eyes dear child the world sees only the ugly disfigured side of my face it never looks at the other side and listen dear heart so the world often sees dishonor when there is no dishonor it sees evil things in many ways where there is only good yes returned the girl but you have never taught me to see with the eyes of the world so to me what the world sees does not matter pray that it may never matter child answered the woman with the disfigured face earnestly then as they went out on the porch she asked did you meet mr oakley as you were coming home sibyl laughed and colored with a confusion that was new to her as she answered yes i did and he scolded me about your going unarmed no but he told me about that too i don't see why whenever a poor criminal escapes he comes into our mountains i don't like to pack a gun unless i'm hunting but brian oakley didn't scold me for that though he knows i always do as he says he scolded because i hadn't told you about my going to see mr king in the spring glade she laughed conscious of the color that was in her cheeks i told him it didn't matter whether i told you or not because he always knows every single move i make anyway why didn't you tell me dear asked the woman you never kept anything from me before i'm sure why dearest the girl answered frankly i don't know myself why i didn't tell you which myra willard knew was the exact truth then sibyl told her foster mother everything about her acquaintance with the artist and conrad lagrange from the time she first watched the painter from the arbor in the rose garden where she met the novelist until that afternoon when she had invited them to supper the next day only of her dancing before the artist the girl did not tell later in the evening sibyl saying that she would sing myra to sleep took her violin to the porch outside the window and in the dusk made soft music until the woman's troubled heart was calm 
When the moon came up from behind the Galenas across the canyon, the girl tiptoed into the house to bend over the sleeping woman in tender solicitude. With that mother tenderness belonging to all true women, she stooped and softly kissed the disfigured face upon the pillow. At the touch Myra Willard stirred uneasily, and the girl, careful to make no sound, withdrew. On the porch she again took up her violin as if to play, but instead sat motionless, her face turned down the canyon, her eyes looking far away. Then quickly she put aside the instrument, and, as though with sudden yielding to some inner impulse, slipped out into the grassy yard. And there, in the moon's white light, with only the mountains, the trees, and the flowers to see, she danced again as she had danced before the artist in the glade, with her face turned down the canyon and her arms outstretched longingly toward the camp in the sycamores back of the old orchard. Suddenly from the room where Myra Willard slept came that shuddering, terror-stricken cry. The girl, fleet-footed as a deer, ran into the house. Kneeling, she put her strong arms about the cowering, trembling form on the bed. "'There, there, dear, it's all right.' The woman of the disfigured face caught Sybil's hand impulsively. "'I—I I was dreaming again,' she whispered. "'And—and and this time—oh, Sybil, this time I dreamed that it was you.' End of chapter 20. Recording by Tom Weiss. Tom's audiobooks.com.